Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. Lately, especially with 4th of July weekend and uh, just a couple of other things, I've been, I've been thinking about um, what it means to stand in the face of opposition and pressure and those type of things. And, and based on some of our discussions uh, lately with the interns and those things, uh, I, I spent a little bit of time this week looking at a, a gentleman in the scripture who only gets two verses. And you may not know him, but he was known and counted in with David's mighty men. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 23, let's start at verse 11. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But he, Shammah, took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord, everybody say the Lord, worked a great victory. Well, Father, will you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said? I want to open up with a scripture this morning that, that brings some aspect to who we are and where we're at. And we've been asking ourselves over the last nine months, what are we going to do with the goodness of God? As God has been really pouring himself out in, in an aspect of, of revival where we've seen salvations and healings and deliverances. Our worship has pressed in and, and the word of God has been good. We've seen community outreach in incredible ways. And when I think about where the status of the culture is, where there's so much division. And if you press any time into that, you're, you're, you're going to get lost in the fact to say, is there any hope? Hello, somebody. Y'all not helping me. This goes a lot faster. But I believe that when a church is the center it's, when it's centered and focused on the kingdom, it's the church that challenges the aspect, the authority of the enemy. When you have a church working for the Lord, you have the devil's attention. And I just want to say this, not in a discouraging way, but to set us up for this thought process I believe the Lord is, is wanting us to focus on as we move forward in the goodness of God and, and there's some things that are happening with, with our new building project getting started here in a week or two and, and cover bridge days and our, our ability to get out in the community, VBS, and the things that are happening there. All the things that put us right in the middle of the community that God has established us. When you get the attention of the enemy, you have to understand that because you're taking ground for the kingdom, you have the enemy's attention. When this happens, the battle is headed your way. And I just need us to understand this morning that there comes a time in every one of our lives, in a church's life, in a ministry's life, and in our lives as a personal war, we come to a crossroads, and that's the crossroads of courage and compromise. And this is a decision point. This is a time where we decide what we're going to do with where we're established and what's happening around us. 
And let me just, everybody understands that it's not always popular to stand and do the right thing. Most of the time, the right thing does not come along with the benefits that we seek right away. And we have to ask our question, ourselves a question that in the midst of what God is doing on the earth, as he is bringing his people over and over and over again to crossroads, uh, the crossroads between courage and compromise, and over and over again the scripture encourages us, have courage, be courageous, stand. Hello, somebody. We've got to make a decision on which road we're going to take. And when we begin to apply ourselves into the battle, the battle requires a few things. And one of the things that I think the battle requires is caution. The scripture tells us that the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. Everybody say pea patch. Now see, that's a southern word for lentils. A pea patch. Here the Israelites got this huge pea patch. Hello, somebody. And the Philistines have showed up at a strategic time. There's this constant turmoil in the Scripture, if you read the Bible, any between the Philistines and the Israelites. And the Philistines have been defeated time and time and time again. Every time they've been defeated. But here's the thing about the enemy. If, just because you defeat an enemy doesn't mean the enemy's done. Over and over and over again as the Philistines experienced defeat. They kept coming back for more. Hello somebody. And you'd think that. If that's the pattern, then Israel would be motivated to remain on guard against the next attack. They, they, listen, they came back last time. They're going to come back again. Listen, we whooped them this time, but they're not done. They're going to come back. Have you ever walked away from a victory and, and, and stood there and go, you know, I just got this feeling we ain't done. I just got this feeling that the enemy's not going to lay down. I just got this feeling that, that, that there's been a retreat from the enemy, but the enemy has retreated not, in, not, not to quit, but to regather themselves, to resupply themselves, to come up with a new plan to press in again. You would think that Israel would recognize the pattern, but that, that wasn't the case. Can I tell us this morning, church, this might shock you, this might surprise you, but we have an adversary, the devil. And he suffered the greatest defeat at the cross of Calvary. Come on. But he still returns to attack us over and over and over again. He hasn't quit. And that's why we're encouraged in 1 Peter to be vigilant, right? That's what the scripture says. It says, be sober. That means be in your right mind. Pay attention, be aware, be vigilant, right? Like press in because your adversary, the devil, is, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, and, and are you with me? Have you, been, have you been sensing that there is a devouring spirit loose today? 
the ideas and thought processes, things that we would never ever imagine or think that would be a, a topic of conversation is, is just regular course for conversation today. And, and that this devouring spirit is consuming everything around it. And in one generation, a thought process has, has been produced that we would have never imagined would be part of a conversation. That's because there's a devouring spirit. Am I the only one that's recognized that Father's Day has always been in June? Men, a, a day where we celebrate men, fathers. A, a day where we understand, like if you read the scripture, God did nothing on planet earth that he didn't do th through a father. We talked about that. Just read your Bible. I don't have a trick Bible. God does everything that he always does through the scripture, through a father. Starts with Adam, goes to Abraham, goes through Noah. Come on, somebody. Always through a father, always through a father, God is working. Do you know that Father's Day has always been in June? Is it, is it just a winky dink that there is a devouring spirit that picks the month of June... Y'all not. Because if we eliminate manhood, if we eliminate fathers, if we eliminate that, then we, don't you understand, the enemy is strategic. We eliminate a pathway that God has always used to move on the face of, y'all not, y'all not helping me. See, we got to pray about this thing. Some of us, in the style of Andy Griffith, we should study on this thing a little bit. I need to study on this thing because Father's Day is always in all the months you could pick. It's an assault on what God is doing. And I, and I need you to understand, nobody has stolen the rainbow of God. No, there's seven colors in God's rainbow, which is complete. There's only six colors in the other one, which is the number of man that's just incomplete. Nobody's stolen God's rainbow. You see, because they're so biblically illiterate, we, do, we get caught up in these conversations. And the whole while, what happens is you never win the debate. Because there's a devouring spirit that's come to consume you in it. That's just me. That was a rabbit trail. Sorry, Corey. When the Philistines came, the people were in the field. Now, gather this, they were working. That's what I love about who we are. Do you understand that if you want to be involved in church, there is no lack of something for you to do around this place? There's no lack of something for you. Can't, you can't say, oh, I just, you know, I'm part of church, but there's nothing for me to do around there. There's no lack of stuff. You know, people are working. We're, we're, we're investing every aspect of who we are. The field was full of lentils. The pea patch was ready for harvest. Come on, somebody. And here's a strategic move by the enemy, the Philistines. They've come. And what happens is because the people were focused 
on the harvest that they were preparing to reap, they weren't paying attention and preparing for the battle. You see, the adversary doesn't only come in times of struggle. The adversary will also come in times of prosperity and blessing. Because that can often distract us, what we're going to do with the goodness of God. It doesn't, give, it doesn't make you immune to the attack of the enemy. As a matter of fact, when the goodness of God gets applied to your life, it often, a draw, it often draws the attention of the enemy. Come on, somebody. And so what happens is he attacks us personally when we're, when we're focused on kingdom work. He attacks the church when the church is centered around strategic projects, events. Hello, somebody. VBS is one of the biggest times of spiritual attack against us that we ever experienced all year long. And, and Doug and Nancy often send out emails. Hey, leaders, remember, let's start praying. Let's start fasting, right? You know what's going to happen. Kids are going to get saved. Come on, somebody. See, because just like the Philistine, our an- enemies plan to attack who we are as children of God. Can I say this, though, to us, church? No attack you face, no temptation you encounter is by accident. Remember when we said a a, a few months back that, you know, no one falls into a moral sin. You just don't trip and fall into moral sin. There's a slow slide that happens in moral sin. Come on, somebody. But the, the, this issue is like, oh, oh, the enemy just doesn't wake up one morning and go, oh yeah, we need to attack them. No, there's a plan. There's an attack, right? Nothing is by accident. And here's the deal. They're so strategic that the consequences themselves, if we're not paying attention, can be devastating. Come on, church. Y'all not helping me this morning. We need, we need caution when it comes to our adversary. We need to understand. We need to be aware. We also need caution when it comes to our allies. Oh, my, y'all. The Bible says the people fled from the Philistines. They came and overwhelmed the people. This is what happened. They overwhelmed the people. The attack was so great, so fierce, and they were so caught off guard that the Bible says they all retreated and left Shammah all by himself. Now, this illustrates a problem. Come on, church. Because oftentimes what happens when Christians face an attack from the enemy, their first response is to flee. But James chapter 4 says, submit yourself therefore unto God and resist the devil. Resist means to stand against, to oppose, to withstand. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to stand. Hello, somebody. What it means to stand. And and let me tell you something. When you you make a decision sometimes to stand, what happens is the the first thing that comes along is this overwhelming feeling of alone. Because everybody else left. And just like Shama, you might find yourself having to take a stand and be all alone. Come on, church. What do we do when this occurs? What do we do? What do we do when we stand in a spot where we know that we're supposed to stand? What do we do in those moments, church? 
We trust God that he'll see us through. We sang the words to us. My confidence is that you'll see me through. Come on, church. Can I tell you this? That throughout all biblical history, men have faced incredible odds and came out on top as a result of their faithfulness to God. Can I, can I start there, right? Listen, in Noah's day, watch what happens. Everyone thought he was a fool, but God saved him and his family. Are you with me, church? Abraham, he battled doubt and discouragement, but God honored his promise and made him a great nation. Elijah took a stand against Baal worship, and God sent fire from heaven. Y'all not helping me. David took a stand and defeated a giant. Daniel faced lions. Come on, church. The three Hebrew children refused to bow and face the furnace as they came out not even smelling like smoke, church. Listen, John the Baptist refused to compromise the word of God and it cost him his head. The apostles and martyrs all throughout history have faced persecution and death. And as a result of the faithfulness in Christ, come on somebody. We see what God could do with their stand. And there, there are a whole lot more. There are a whole lot more we could go through this day, this morning. There's a whole, if you've, if you've never read Fox's book, uh, book of Martyrs, you can see and, and talk about all of those heroes throughout of history who stood. Some were delivered, some died. But ultimately, the victory belongs to the Lord. Now, can I say this? I hear a lot of people all the time tell me, oh, I would die for Jesus. The struggle is, it's, it's easy to die. But I'm not convinced you can keep that promise if you're not first living for him. Now, see, there goes the preacher in me, and somebody, got, somebody just got mad. In the world that we live in, is God really looking for martyrs as much as he's looking for people to just live for him? Spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally, God's just looking for people to live for him. And so when the attack comes, do we flee or do we fight? Do we remain in the harvest field when the harvest field becomes a battlefield? Oh. You know, it's fun to do church when everything's going good. I said it's fun to do church when everything's going good. This battle requires caution. Not only for our enemies, but for our allies. This battle requires care. Shama held his ground and he defended it. I, I love this portion. There's just two verses about this dude and already he's one of my heroes. Come on, church. Because see, in, in my mind, I'm seeing how it's rolling. They're, they're not prepared for battle. Do you understand? There, there are no shields. There are no swords. There's no armor. There's no bows and arrows. There's none of that. They're, not, they're in the harvest field. You know what you got when you're in the harvest field? Not a sword. Not a bow or an arrow. You know what you got when you're in the harvest field? A hoe. Don't look like much of a weapon, does it? Especially against Philistines. 
You know this enemy. They're not unaware of who the Philistines are. Come on. They know them. They've been fighting them over and over and over and over again. They're not unaware of who these warring people are, right? I bet the Philistines had swords and bows and shields and armor. Come on, somebody. Because they came to fight. But the people of God were not ready to fight. They were harvesting. You know what they got? Farm equipment. And so when the Philistines showed up, everybody's like, well, this ain't going to work. We out of here. Except for Shama. See, I see Shama standing in the field with his hoe going, this is my pea patch. God gave me this pea patch. God gave me this blessing. This pea patch is going to feed my family. This pea patch is going to provide. This pea patch is something that God has done, and you don't get to take it. And I might have nothing but a hoe, but you bring it on, because I'm not leaving. See, here's, here, here's my boy. He's standing in the pea patch, and he ain't got a sword, a knife. Come on, somebody. And he's defending what God has given him. Let me just tell you something, church. You know God's given us so much. Come on, come on. I, uh, listen, I'm not saying we don't struggle. I'm not saying we don't fight. But you were born into a war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You might as well get over it. You were born into a battle. You were born into a fight. And too many times people, people look at the Christian walk as a playground when it's actually a battlefield. Shama knows he's in a battle for the goodness of God and what God has given him. And the enemy it comes against uh, the people of Israel. The enemy comes against God, uh, God's people for two reasons. To inflict casualties and to destroy the crops. You know, hungry people can't fight. See, this, this is why I tell you, you've got to read your scripture. Because too many Christians live... Malnutrition, malnutritioned in the spirit. The hungry people can't fight. They're too weak. Jesus said, I, I don't live by, come on somebody, bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? This is what Jesus says. And he, here's where we're at. We're at this place where Shama is standing ready to fight because the enemy has come to inflict casualties and to destroy the crop. It wants to bring, the enemy wants to bring Israel, the enemy wants to bring the church to a place of hunger, a place where it can easily be defeated and easily enslaved. And so the soldiers begin to march through and trample down the crops. The people fled and Shama stayed. He stayed. Why? Because he cared about the people. Those same people that just abandoned him. You get mad at people when they leave? You get mad at people when they leave you? See, what you might not understand is your standing might actually save their life. Your standing might not always be about your full belly or your blessing. Your standing might actually save their life. Church, the word of God and the kingdom of God is under attack. Somebody better say amen. Do we care enough to fight?
to stay in the harvest when it becomes a battlefield? Or will we flee? Well, let me ask this question. Have you already fled? Where are the shamas who will stand and, and, and fight for the things of God? Where are they? Where are they today? This man stayed in the harvest field because he cared. He didn't talk about what he didn't have. He talked about what God had given him was worth staying. Let me, it's, all, it's always easier to run and quit, isn't it? It's always easier to look at and make all the excuses about why we can't have courage. But this battle requires courage. My church. He determined in his heart that he's going to defend this harvest. Even if it costs him his life. This weekend is 4th of July weekend for us. I, I like this area of history for sure. You guys can pray for me. But I, I love the area of history in war. I think you see people do incredible things. United to stand up and battle evil. And if you, if you look at the history of those things, it's, it's, it, it, I'm not advocating war. I'm, I'm say, what I'm saying is, I think there are some things that we learn about the courage of people. You and I are free because people had the courage to stand and fight. We celebrate because people had the courage to stand and fight. I remember... Being with my father, who three combat tours in Vietnam. I have his Purple Heart, his Bronze Star in my office. And he had three combat tours in Vietnam. Um, tough little goat, right? About this tall. Anyway. I loved him. He was, he was my hero, still is. He's a town war hero where we grew up and... I remember him and I together when I was younger and some people were burning an American flag and it made me mad. And I, and I was talking to my dad about it and he said, look, as much as it hurts me to see that happen, I fought for their freedom to do it. If we're going to be free, hello somebody. And it made me think about what freedom really does and what. I walked away from that thing. Not, my dad wasn't giving approval to burn the American flag. My dad was literally making me think about what I will do with my freedom. What will you do? See, we're free because someone else decided to stand. Come on, church. What will you do? What will you do? What will the church do because we are free? Do you know whom the sun sets free is? Come on, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with our freedom? What are we going to do with the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Where his blood is sufficient enough to wash away our sins as far as the east is from the west. To make us clean and pure and holy. To help us stand in righteousness in his presence. To fill us with his Holy Spirit. To walk in power and anointing. What are we going to do with our freedom, church?
especially when the enemy comes and says, you remember that old addiction? Come on. You remember them old friends? You remember, come on. All that temptation flows up. All those things start happening. All that condemnation. Remember what you used to do, how you used to live? Listen, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I ain't who I was. But I got good news for you. I ain't yet who God wants me to be. There's more for God in our life, right? Will we sit back and watch the church be defeated? Will we run and hide when the enemy bombards the body of Christ? Will we stand by and allow the devil to devour our work, to devour our children? There is a devouring spirit after our kids. I promise you right now. Come to consume them. Never in the history of our life have children lived in such a confusing time. Where two plus two doesn't equal four anymore. No one's interested in teaching them that. But see, if you, if me, if the church, if our families, if we don't establish standards and truth, there's a spirit that's going to come and devour them with ease. Will we stand or will we run? And so many have already run. This is why the church is in the shape it is. And it's time, church, to stand firm and become courageous. And courage isn't easy. Somebody say amen. It's most uncomfortable and always unpopular. But it's required. Come on, church. Fighting this battle requires consistency. Verse 12, Shammah slew the enemies. Shammah, look, it says, and he's one. I would, I could have been there. I think I can picture the stories in the Bible, but I don't know. Here's a guy with a hoe and a whole army of Philistines all by himself. What the? Well, I mean, this guy's some ninja or something. Like, with a hoe? No sword? No shield? No bow and arrow? With farm equipment? And, 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 it, and it, it seemed like it was no big deal that the Bible only gives us two verses. And the Lord worked a mighty work. Because God had someone he could use. We need some people who are willing to stay in the harvest field when it becomes a battlefield. And there are a lot of people present today who once stood in the middle of a harvest field, served faithfully, faced some attacks and are run away, discouraged, depressed, defeated, even apathetic. And as a result, there's a shaman left behind to fight your portion of the battle. I have a pastor who's a friend, and he's been a pastor his whole life. And this was his statement to me. If I could at least, 
If I had another skill, I'd do something different. He's tired of the fight. He's tired. He feels alone. It feels like every time there's a battle, come on, somebody. See, many who are willing to stay and fight in your stead are now weary from the battle. That's why the scripture says, Therefore, my brother, beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain for the Lord. It's important that we understand possessing caution, care, courage, and consistency in the battle. Those are important. But none of it's more important that we understand that it's the Lord who brings victory. Because to be frank, my hoe ain't big enough. Not in its own strength. And so fighting this battle requires comprehension. The Bible says the Lord brought about a great victory. Shammah stood and he fought. And he defeated the Philistines. Maybe he picked up one of the enemy's swords. Probably would have been smart. <laughs> Hello, somebody. He may have stand and held his, that sword that he picked up in that fight, I'm sure. But it was God who won the battle. Because someone stood. He faced incredible odds. And that's the story of the people of God. Doing what someone said we could not do. Being what someone said we could not be. Lasting as long as people, longer than people believed we could. Staying focused. The key is that Shama was willing to plant his feet on a solid rock and not move. Remember David proclaimed when he faced Goliath? All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you into our hands. You see, when we're facing spiritual battles, we've got to remember that we can't win apart from the Lord Jesus or apart from each other. I believe that the greatest weapon that the modern-day church has is its unity. Come on, somebody. It's people who are committed to the vision of the house that God has called them to. It's believing in its purpose in such a way that we invest our lives in every way into what God has called us to do. God had one man that was willing to stand. Come on, church. And many were saved from starvation. Not only does this apply to each and every child of God, but I think it also applies to every church. What if God had one church and somebody? Can I say this? The devil don't mind us having church. He don't mind us singing songs. He don't mind us having Sunday school. He don't, he don't even mind us preaching. He don't. Come on, church. But when we stand for God, we can accomplish things for the kingdom of God. 
That's when, that's when, that's when we got the devil's attention. That's when it's important. Come on up here, Melin. That's when it matters. Come on up, worship team. That's when it's important. Because as a church, here we are. We, we, we are in the midst of God using us for his glory and for his honor. We're in the midst of a place where young people want to be in the house of God. They want to be in the presence of God. They want a prayer. They, they want to hear the word of God. They want to preach and teach the word of God. I hear them share about their faith. I hear them share about their revelation. And, and, and they are at this place where people who, who maybe say, well, you know, I'm retired. Are saying, no, I still got something I need to do. Don't leave me out. I love it that when the church is preaching Christ and people are being saved and lives are being changed, Christians are being discipled. That's when we've got the enemy's attention. You think all hell is breaking loose because the devil's bored? No, when the hand of God is on you, you get the devil's attention. Come on, church. That's why we got to pray for each other. We have to cover each other. We've got to pick up our spiritual hoe. Amen. And we got to stand in the field in front of the enemy and say, God gave me this pea patch. It's mine. You can't have my bees. When the harvest field becomes a battlefield, that's when you'll realize how important the harvest is to you. How important is the harvest to the church? Will you stand? It's harvest time and the enemy would like nothing more than to round this harvest field and turn it into a battlefield. Trample down our crops. Scare off people. I'm asking this church, will we be Shama? You see, I would that the spirit of Shama rest on this place. And that we stand and fight for the things of God. The scripture tells us that the battle is the Lord's. And that he will win the battle. And we're going to face battles daily. But we need to always remember that our enemy has already been defeated. And Jesus won the battle at Calvary. Come on, church.